right, where are we at? Oh, you know what would be fun? Grab your paper and just flip it over real quick, all right? If you're new and you weren't here last week, here's what I'm not going to ask you to do. Do not, honor system, do not look at your notes from last week, okay? If you were here at Psalms, don't look at your notes from last week. I just want you to give me your best shot. Turn around. I'm only going to ask you five, okay? Five things, and I want your, your best effort here. The first thing I want you to write is write a number one, a piece of paper, back somewhere. Write number one, and I'm just going to ask you, hey, what are the Psalms? Just like, you know, somebody were to ask you, hey, this book in the Bible is called Psalms. What's that thing? What's, what's the Psalms, all right? Uh, okay, give them, give them an answer. What are the Psalms? Just write it out in your own words. Honor system again. Phrase, a sentence, something. Don't shout the answer out, Tammy. This is a pop quiz. Nobody writes songs of praise. If you had that, scratch it out. I won't believe that came up with it. Just your best effort, silently, to yourself. No cheating. I'll talk to you. All right. Everybody got something down, a guess down? All right. Good. Number two, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write as many authors of psalms as you can remember, okay? As many of the authors of psalms as you can just throw out there. Just just try your best. Maybe you just get one who wrote predominantly most of them. That's okay. Just, just throwing it out there. <clears throat> nobody's, that's really just hard and nobody's writing here. Everyone's just kind of looking at it. All right. It's good. It's all right. It's testing you, right? how you remember. If you're like me, this is how your brain works. You need trivia in order to learn. Anybody was a, a, a flashcard studier in here? Just all day long. Give me the flashcards. Let me memorize the answers. Doesn't really mean I'm learning anything, but I'm memorizing. <laughs> I'm all right. Number three. The Psalms are divided into how many books within the Psalms? Not how many chapters, but they are divided and structured into how many books? What's the answer, Tim? No. <laughs> All right. Number four, I want you to do your best to name as many different kinds of psalms as you can. Remember we said there are 11 different types of psalms, at least 11. There are psalms of hmm and psalms of hmm and psalms of hmm. Uh, and just try your best to name those out, write those down as best you can. This is so much fun for me. I can't tell you. I don't know if this is going to be beneficial for you at all, but the joy it's bringing me right now, um, I, I don't know. You know, I'm happy. Um, I'll give you some time for that one. You're done? That's disheartening. Um, all right. I know, I really ruined it when I said you couldn't use your notes, right? Didn't I? But that would just give you all the answers. What fun is that? You should be writing. All right. Uh, last one, how do the Psalms point us to Jesus? We said there are two different ways and two different types. We said that there are Psalms, hmm, the Messiah, and Psalms, hmm, the Messiah. Okay, I'm just giving you a hint. Hmm is not the answer. That's actually a blank. Um, so, don't write hmm twice. That wouldn't make sense. All right. If it makes you feel any better, I don't have any of the handouts like written in so um, 
but I actually I did study this a bit. So, all right, what are the Psalms? Who wants to throw something out there? I may that, be wrong, but I is it like poetry, history, songs of praise? Sure, so poetry, yeah, they are poetic songs of praise. Yes, certainly. Tammy's am- answer is acceptable. Books of encouragement. Books of encouragement, right. Okay, that works, yeah. Petitions, petitions and prayers, often, yeah. Petitions, prayers, songs. Anybody got anything different now? Anatomy of the parts of the soul. Anatomy of the parts of the soul, the John Ooh. Calvin quote. Nice, very good. Bonus points in there, yeah. It helps that I edit this. No, okay. All right. Future's pet. No. All right. So, um, kidding. All right. Anybody have anything different than that? Not that you want to share, I'm sure, right? All right. How many different authors? Who got the most authors? Who got, let's see, how many do we have on here? Two, three, four, five, six, seven. We had seven authors that we listed. Who got four? Four? All right. Matt, Brock, anybody get five? Uh, all right, Brock, who do you got? Moses, Moses. David, Asaph, Sons of Korah, Ezra, and Solomon. Nice, that's actually six. You did say six, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Right, uh, six, who did we say was number seven? David, Solomon, Asaph, Sons of Korah, Moses, right? Ezra. So, no, we did have six. You got them all. Congratulations. Good. Um, anybody get any of those? Who got David, at least? That's good. He did write the majority of them. Did anybody get more than David? That's good. All right, good. You're learning. Good. All right. Um, The Psalms are divided into five different books. Great job. Look at y'all. I'm going to start crying a bit. Um, All right. Who can name some different types of Psalms? Hymns? You know, I want to give you that, but that's not listed here. Um, Psalms of praise, sure. Psalms of what? Psalms of wisdom. I have that. Yes, I did. Psalms of petition. Let's see. What do you got? Thanksgiving. That's right. What's the sad one? Hearts are real. Lament. There you go. What's the Imprecatory. There you go. Break the teeth of the wicked. That's sign language for imprecatory. Um, so, all right. There's Torah Psalms, Liturgy Psalms, Enthronement Psalms, Royal Psalms, Psalms of Zion, Psalms of Trust. Uh, and I think other than that, we covered all of those. Okay? Um, good. That's good. That's encouraging. You're looking at your notes. That's true. I am, but I, I mean, I could, I could guess. You got me. All right. Then finally, number five. What is? Uh, how do we? What was the question? How did the Psalms point us to Jesus? Right. Psalms about, about the Messiah and Psalms by by the Messiah, from the Messiah, by the Messiah. Very good. Right. Psalms that paint a picture. What? Same way we go through the Old Testament. We're looking at. Typology about looking forward to Christ, right? About the Messiah, describing him, and yet Psalms by the Messiah. What does that mean? Well, Jesus quotes the Psalms more than he does any other Old Testament book, right? He quotes them twice on the cross. And he's actually telling you that this couldn't fit anybody else, couldn't be about anybody else. These Psalms, um, in, in, a, in a sense, are by him. All right. Y'all did good. Aren't you encouraged? I will not give you a pop quiz next week because Justin's teaching, so he might. Um, all right, but let's go ahead and start with Proverbs, lesson number six, okay? Um, 
we start with context. Most of the Proverbs were written by... Who's that? Solomon, that's right. King David's son, right? He reigned in the mid-10th century B.C. Um, and, and when we talk about historical context, the only real historical context to speak of is that King Solomon's reign was, was prosperous and peaceful, uh, particularly in a time of history of Israel. Now, I know you're thinking, I, we went over Solomon, and it didn't seem as if it ended all that well. No, it didn't. But from a worldly standard around, it seemed it was the most prosperous time in Israel's history and most peaceful time in Israel's history as well. Uh, but that actually doesn't really have much to do with how we interpret the Psalms, honestly. That sounds weird to think that context doesn't really have a lot to do with how we interpret Psalms. But remember, this is poetry. This is wisdom literature. Um, what may have a better effect on our interpretation is that so many times in the first chapters, Solomon is addressing his son. Okay, you see that over and over again. Um, it's as though he's teaching his son how to be a man. Uh, that's really what he's kind of consistently going over. Um, now, whether this is a literal son or rhetorical son actually doesn't really matter all that much. Uh, because the Proverbs are full of the wisdom of a man who has lived life and seen much of the world. And he wants to pass on that which he's learned to help anyone who will listen about how to live a good life and avoid the mistakes that a lot of others fall into continuously. So that's historical context. In terms of redemptive history, which is, remember, where does this play a part in the thread of the story of Christ coming to save sinners? The Proverbs don't move the plot along at all. There isn't much about God's plan of salvation in the course of time. But, as we mentioned last week, we know that Solomon is, in fact, a type of Christ, right? Just like David is. So, the Proverbs typify the wisdom that a king needs to rule over God's people. Of course, we know, particularly from just studying history, that only Christ possesses the greatest wisdom and can rule over God's people forever. So, Solomon's reign begins uh, part of the golden days of the kingship of Israel. And it's apropos that he wrote much of the wisdom literature in Israel. What's the theme? There are a lot of themes uh, and principles in the book of Proverbs. We can generalize pretty much the whole book like this. Wisdom is fearing the Lord, being teachable, and having skill in godly living. That's the theme. Fearing the Lord, being teachable, and having skill in godly living. Now, that being a central theme of the book, many issues are addressed in the Proverbs. So many issues. You've got things like the fear of the Lord, the power of the tongue, what makes a godly woman, and how a man should beware of ungodly women, what it means to truly live life, the very pursuit of wisdom itself, that is to say, how to get wisdom, receiving instruction, the sovereignty of God, honesty, marriage, sex, family, work, economics, generosity, friendship, and on and on and on. So many different uh, issues addressed. We'll see a lot of that um, in the Proverbs. We're also going to see a lot of characters in Proverbs. Uh, these characters are actually going to serve as comparisons between opposite ways of life. We'll see uh, the wise man compared with the fool, or the simple man compared with the righteous um, and the wicked, the diligent, hardworking man compared with the lazy or sluggers, right? 
Lady Wisdom and the Harlot. So there are really a lot of themes and a number of characters who embody them. Nonetheless, we'll see that many themes will really revolve around these three things. Pay attention to your notes here. One, fearing God means living life in relation to the truth about who he is. That's one. Two, wisdom is often defined in the book of Proverbs as the attitude of teachability. That's key. Attitude of teachability. Often there's, there's really less of a focus on what someone knows and more of a focus on whether or not they're willing to listen and learn more or whether they're sadly already wise in their own eyes, unwilling to humbly submit to the teaching of others. That's what wisdom is, right? We know that wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is what you do with what you know. If you're like me, you may know a whole lot of people who have tons of knowledge, but zero wisdom. Um, and you might know some people who have quite a bit of wisdom and not nearly as much knowledge. But what wisdom is, is what you do with what you know. Finally, the third thing is wisdom is knowing how to apply the truth about God and the world to your life. How to apply it. It's, it's a lot more than just knowing things. Again, it's knowing what to do with that knowledge now that you have it in order, purposed with living a more godly life. So however wisdom is presented and promoted at any point in the book, it's very important to understand this. The Lord is the grounds, the means, and the goal of wisdom. What I mean by ground is that all wisdom is first found where? In God. In God. Right? Since, since he's the creator of all things, Anything that's going to be known in his universe is not entirely really understood until it's understood in relation to who he is, to why he created that very thing, to what it tells us about him, and so forth. So the Lord is the ground, but then God is also the means by which any of us get wisdom. All wisdom comes from God as a gift. That means if anybody has wisdom, doesn't necessarily come with your gray hair as I'm learning, um, it's because God has given it to him or her. Thus, he's also the one who gives more wisdom. So I say that God is the ground of wisdom. He's the means of wisdom. He's also the what of wisdom? Goal. The goal. By the goal of wisdom, what do I mean? I mean that the ultimate value of wisdom, you know what it is? To know God better, right? That's it. Knowing God is the end, the greatest good of having wisdom um, whatsoever. So, as we see there, wisdom is not, therefore, an end in itself, but it recognizes God for he's the ground, comes from God, because he's the means, then it will result in recognizing him and his ways all the more, hence the wisdom of God. You've got the outline with pivotal text there. That, remember, is for your Bible reading to give you an overview. Don't necessarily have to go through that every week, but as you're reading through the Proverbs, typically if you have a study Bible, you have something like this even more in detail at the beginning of the book. We give you our own one just to kind of simplify and, and to walk through as a survey. So you've got the outline of pivotal text there. All right. Let's think about what the Proverbs actually are now. Are, are now. Uh, first examine what the Proverbs are now and what makes them different from other types of Scripture. This is going to be interesting, okay? Most of the scriptures teach um, eternal, 
unassailable truth about God, man, and the world. But the Proverbs are just a wee bit different, okay? They're still inspired. They're certainly still profitable, obviously, as well. They're unique in that most of them aren't exactly hard and fast rules that govern the universe or guarantees in life. Rather, what they are are general principles and observations that can be drawn from the created order by those who fear the Lord, okay? General principles and observations that can be drawn from the created order by those who fear the Lord. Take, for example, Proverbs 26, 27. Anybody want to read that for me? Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on them. I'm so glad you read that one, brother. Um, can I ask you a question? Have you ever dug a pit before? Yeah. Did you fall into it every time? No. Well, what's wrong with the Word of God? It says, he who digs a pit falls into it. Right? Well, okay. Does that mean that everybody who's ever dug a pit has fallen into it? Everyone who's rolled a stone before has been crushed by that stone? No. Probably dug a pit and rolled stones in safety. I'm sure that's still a thing. But what the Proverbs saying has more to do with deceit, right? Digging a pit here is for the intent of harming someone. Rolling a stone is with the intent of trying to uh, to fudge property boundaries which were marked by stones in the ancient Near East. So the writer is saying that your deceit will only come back to bite you in the end. That's its purpose. That's a good principle to live by and always remember, isn't it? Your deceit will come back to bite you. But it's just not true that every lie harms the liar in this life. Yes, ultimately every lie will be found out in the day of judgment. There will be no hiding from the penetrating grace of the Almighty. However, here in this life, isn't it true that many people tell lies and get away with them? I'm sure you can think of any number of lies you've told and gotten away with. Our time of confession is on Sunday, certainly, but you're welcome to confess that on Wednesday nights too. But that doesn't negate the truth of the proverb. Generally speaking, lies do come back to bite us in the end. For every lie you've gotten away with, I'm sure you could also think of a dozen situations where that lie has returned on your own head worse than it was before. Don't look around, just keep your head down, right? So the application of that proverb then is what? Don't try to deceive people, because nine out of ten times you will only harm yourself in that very deceit. Nonetheless, there are, however, Proverbs that are always true. We find those all throughout Proverbs as well. There are some that do convey eternal truth about God and the hard and fast workings of the universe. These can be spotted because they make sweeping claims that simply can't apply sometimes and not others. For example, Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Okay, so... This is a proverb that's affirming what? God's what? Sovereignty, right? Absolutely. If he's not sovereign all the time, then he's not God. He's not sovereign any of the time, right? Furthermore, what does the proverb say? How many decisions are from the Lord? Every. Every. That every is a bit of a giveaway, isn't it? So this proverb functions more as a true saying about things than a principle or some sort of advice. Got it? All right, what about Proverbs 17, 15? This is a good one. He who justifies the wicked and 
he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Have you heard that one before? All right, so this one's about God's delight in justice and hatred for injustice. Does that ever change? No. He's always righteous. That, that proverb wouldn't make any sense if he's only sometimes has hatred towards injustice. So you see, it's, it's pretty easy to see when a proverb's functioning as a principle, as a general observation about the way things are, and therefore serves as advice, and when a proverb is an eternal truth, and therefore should be thought more in the terms of command than advice. So, okay, how do we interpret those things, and how do we interpret the Psalms in general? So last week, you remember we talked briefly in Hebrews about parallelism? And if you got the reading assignments for this week's text, you're going to see a lot of parallels, not parallelism, but you're supposed to be noting comparisons and parallels. Uh, but in poetry, we see a lot of what we call parallelism, or one line, uh, the next line often expands on the line before. Well, the Proverbs are a style of poetry, so everything that we said last week about Psalms and parallelism will apply here as well. Yet, they're still slightly different because the Psalms um, don't often use the contrast as much as the Proverbs. The Proverbs use contrast a lot more. That is to say, in the simplest terms, they use the word but uh, a lot more. So, here, uh, here's a simple step to help you interpret the Psalms. And we're going to use Psalms, or Proverbs, sorry, I got Psalms in the mind now. We're going to use Proverbs 10, 8 to start, okay? 10, 8. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a parting fool shall fall. Mm, I read that the same way too the first time. It's really funny you said it. Prating fool shall fall. What is the, we don't know what that word is because we don't typically use that, do we? Right? You know what prating is? To talk foolishly and at length about something. Right? <laughs> foolishly and at tedious length about something. So you remember last week I told you about the great chiropractor fight of Mother's Day 2019 between Adam and Cody Page? That's, those are prating fools having those conversations, all right? So, um, the prating fool, so how do we interpret this psalm? The wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. How do we do it, okay? First, we determine the parallelisms. What in the second line, what in the second line there is in parallel with the wise in heart? What's in parallel to wise a heart in that? A prating fool. A prating fool. Thank you, Bob. Very good, right? Nope. All right, what's in parallel with receive commands? Oh, Will fall, right? Now, this one's actually an easy one because the parallel elements are in the same order. However, this is why I chose this one because this one's a tricky one. There's actually one other parallelism in this verse. Um, if you don't see it, it's receives commands can actually be seen in parallel with a prating fool. Understand why? Because one is a listener, and the other is talker. Yeah. So, so here's the thing: when you come to poetry and interpreting poetry, why you it's rare you see somebody preach line by line through proverbs because you almost have to do this with every single proverb. Um, but when you're interpreting poetry, it's not an exact science all the time. Okay. But this new parallelism we found. Right? The idea that prating fool is actually parallel with received commands kind of negates the first ones we saw to its meaning. So slowing down, the point is slowing down and mulling over the text like this 
is opening our eyes to some possible different and correct interpretations. So we first identify the parallelisms. Second, we identify the figure of speech. In the example we looked at earlier that Brother John read for us, we said that digging a pit and rolling a stone were ways of talking about deception. Well, are there any figures of speech here? Prating fool, right? Sort of a figure of speech. It's, as we talked about, one who talks a lot further. It probably means one who talks so much that they don't have time to listen. And what does fall mean? Literal? Most likely, this would mean trouble or tragedy will come to whatever relationship it is in which you behave like a prating fool. Like Matthew 7. Right, Matthew 7, yeah. So with a, with a, whether it be with a spouse or an employee or a parent, etc. So one last thing we may need to notice here is that the proverb has to do, this proverb in particular has to do with superiors. Did you notice that? How, does, how do we know it deals with superiors? What's it say? Yeah, receive or accept commands, right? Well, that's got to have to do with superiors. It's not talking about from your toddlers, right? We know that. It's the case because the rest of Scripture. So this proves as little to do how we relate to our children or students or strangers we meet. Those are the type of people who usually give us commands. So we have parallelisms. We identify that. We have figures of speech. Thirdly, we summarize what the proverb says in your own words based on what you found so far. So what might a summary statement sound like here? Glad you asked because I wrote this out. To be wise is not to be above counsel, not to be above advice or commands, but to be wise is to listen to such. However, if you're unsubmissive and always run in your mouth, even finding excuses for not obeying, you will wreck your relationship. Okay? Number four. Parallelisms, figure of speech, we summarize. Number four, try to think of an example from the Bible. Can anyone think of an example in the Bible where a subordinate harmed their relationship when they wouldn't receive commands? I know, right? That's on demand. Saul. Saul, that's right. That's great. Absolutely. From the Lord, Samuel. I think he pretty much ruined things pretty quickly, didn't he? Yeah, yeah Jonah, that's great. You know what I thought of? This is so weird because all those are better than what I got. Um, yeah. Uh, John, Mark, and Paul. Right? You remember that story of John, Mark, and Paul? What happened? Um, Mark did what? Deserted. Yeah, he deserted Paul and Barnabas on the, on the trip. He couldn't travel again with them like he wanted to, but... However, like we said, that Proverbs are, they're what? They're principles for living wise and godly lives, not absolute rules. So it is no surprise that while John, Mark, and Paul did have a falling out, had to be addressed, they did, however, reconcile, right? So we think of an example from the Bible, helps us interpret. Finally, we seek how to apply this to our own life, which is often what we do when reading Scripture, right? How does this apply? Uh, well, who are some people we need to submit to? first God and then our boss. Yeah, right. All right. There you go. I was about to say. Judge, come on, man. Judge, no. Um, laws of the land. Laws of the land, yeah. Uh, again, when we, yeah. Um, there's caveats there, but certainly, right. Uh, parents. 
right? Still, we're still to honor our parents. That's gets tougher when you're older, you know that? Um, don't teach you that. Do you ever look at your kids and say, it's going to get tougher to honor me when you're an adult? Um, all right. Uh, yeah, we certainly know that. Um, good pastor. Oh, Justin, that was a good one. What did you say? My pastor. <laughs> <laughs> no one said that. Uh, Hebrews 13. No, uh, yeah. Uh, we're also taught not the Lord over, right? Well, yeah, right. So um, we, we each have pastors too. So. That's right. So we all live under the authority of God, though, as Ms. Tammy pointed out. So in these relationships, the application is we must be quick to submit and to listen. Don't bicker over things, right? If you do, listen, you will prove to be wise. But again, these aren't absolute laws. Remember that. If anyone commands you to sin, obviously you shouldn't, right? <coughs> For that, there are a number of other proverbs warning you to flee from that very sin. So the real value of steps like these, I know you're thinking, there's 31 chapters of proverbs. You just spent how much time on one verse? I know, I get it. But, but it's good to slow down. And really consider what the proverb says. That's kind of the point, actually, right? The value of these steps is that they make you slow down and really consider what the proverb says. The reality is, we get stuck in reading over our Bible so quickly. I don't know if you're like me in this, but I know just for a season of my life, I was just just happy that I was actually reading the Bible at all, right? And I thought, well, this is good enough, right? I got my chapter down. I've read all through the Bible. I read a chapter a day or whatever the Bible reading plan was, and in the New Testament, I got through it. That's good. That's how I read my Bible. But we always are growing in our Bible reading. The next step is meditation, chewing over the Word of God. Don't, don't just be satisfied with saying my eyes are over it, but really chew on it. Understand it. Dissect it. Take your time with it. it, it you're really doing yourself very little benefit if all you're doing is reading to check the box without letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, Right? So this is why we give you these um, opportunities. They'll cause things, by the way, when you do that, it will cause things to jump out at you like they never have before. So, uh, theme text. There are a lot of Proverbs you can throw yourself into, really meditate over and apply to your life. The first nine and the last two chapters are full of Proverbs that are thematically related. They're extended dialogues on wisdom that tell us how exactly to attain it, how to apply it, and then the rest of the book has independent proverbs like the one we just looked at. They, they stand on their own, independent from their surrounding context, but whatever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself in the proverbs, it would be very helpful to remember what we said at the beginning of class, right? The Lord is the grounds, the means, and the goal of wisdom. He's the beginning, middle, and the end of all wisdom. All right, let's dive through it quickly. Look, I've got this page, this page, and this page. We've got ten minutes. Let's go. Turn to chapter 1, verse 7. Someone read that for me. The fear of the Lord God is the beginning of knowledge. So the beginning of all knowledge, the starting place of all wisdom, is in where? Fearing the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it, yeah, it means to know who he is, first off, in sovereignty, holiness, wisdom, majesty, power, dominion, beauty, and justice, and to therefore live your life knowing that that very God that was just described, remember, sees everything. God sees all. It brings you back to homecoming. <laughs> to know that he created all things, and he will call everyone to account for every single action, thought, and word. Homecoming again. 
This will completely change the way we see the world and one sees their own life. Now, nothing is understood in and of and by itself, right? Rather, everything needs to be thought of as God's creation, made by him and for him, continually under his scrutinizing, penetrating, holy gaze. And to see the world as God's world, and and you as just a small part of that world, is the grounds and beginning of wisdom. All right, turn to chapter 2, Proverbs 2, verse 6. Someone read that one for me. Thank you, Miss Debbie. There are a lot of Proverbs that instruct us on how to get wisdom. By listening, being teachable, being slow to speak, etc. I can't say that word tonight. Uh, but those are earthly means. It's not as if they aren't important. They are, but they're secondary. The primary an ultimate source of wisdom, the means of wisdom, is God himself. He gives wisdom, and if anybody has wisdom, guess who they have alone to thank? The Lord. All right, uh, someone look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 for me. Read that. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline in your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and fill the knowledge of God. All right, so um, verse 6, uh, read verse 6 one more time, sorry. For the Lord gives wisdom, for his mouth come knowledge and understanding. All right, so again, the goal of obtaining wisdom, right? What will be the result of one's life if they fear the Lord and he gives them wisdom? As we read those verses, notice. They comprise one long sentence with an if-then clause, right? That sentence relays a cause and effect relationship. Did you hear that? If you accept words of wisdom, if you turn your ear to wisdom, if you call out for more wisdom, if you search for it as silver, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The ultimate end of attaining wisdom is, again, that we may know our great God better. It's not a means to bettering our business or simply making our lives more comfortable or easygoing. Wisdom always has a higher goal, to know and enjoy the Lord Almighty. To have wisdom is to understand the world life, both of which God owns and created, by the way. So therefore, as the world and life are better known and such wisdom is applied and lived out, of course the Creator will therefore be better known and experienced. That's why we want such wisdom. To know what this world and our lives are meant to be as we see God more clearly and we know Him more intimately. Anybody else thinking the book Knowing God? If you've read that from J.I. Packer, it's a great book. Okay, of course, this is no way replaces the necessity of faith. That's what we see next in our notes. That does not replace the necessity of faith, particularly in Christ, right? Um, He's the only way for us to be reconciled to God. Only way for us to have a right relationship with him is through Christ. So after all, that, that initial ground of wisdom is what? What do we say it is? What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear the Lord. So, which, if you've heard me describe, is really just another way of describing faith. So faith is the starting point. And all who have faith in Christ have a relationship with God. But it's not secret. There's some secret that, that some know better Uh, know God better than others. Some seem able to live their lives more in line with the gospel than others. This is because they have set their hearts to obtain wisdom. That's the only way, and the Lord has given it to them. So we're coming to the conclusion, okay? Uh, We can't conclude without asking what question? Who knows what we need to ask? It's in your notes. Think right. 
Where are Jesus and the gospel and Guys, the Proverbs? Guys, always. Remember Sunday morning? Who's the main character of the Old Testament? Jesus. You know who the main character of Proverbs is? You might be thinking, you really haven't mentioned Jesus' name a whole lot here. How is he the main character? Well, let's see. Uh, where are Jesus and the gospel in Proverbs? First, we understand that Christ was the embodiment of wisdom. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus said that he's greater than Solomon in all his wisdom. No one understood the world and life and the consequences of one's actions like Jesus did. Now, the wisest thing any of us can do is to repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2 are just beautiful. Wish we had time to go there. But in that, Paul glories in the wisdom of the gospel. He marvels that this gospel is so wise that it supersedes all human attempts at wisdom by all the wisest men to ever walk the face of the earth. But it's only in that gospel that God can be known. So no matter how wise one might be in earthly things, without the gospel, their wisdom is still insufficient to know God. Thus, God's wisdom in the gospel makes man's wisdom appear as foolishness. All right, let's wrap it up. Proverbs, they're full of rich wisdom, right? Read them slowly. Read them contemplatively. But by all means, we have to strive to apply them as well. And so we understand the fear of the Lord and we find the knowledge of God. How do we apply it? Well, we all spend a lot of time doing what we love, right? The reality is, Charles always tells me this, I think. Um, people ultimately do what they want. Uh, we, a lot of truth in that. We, mm. we spend a lot of energy pursuing the things that we like. Well, our application for today would have to be this. Want wisdom. Desire knowledge. Want wisdom. Desire knowledge. Heed the wisdom of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. We seek to understand Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding, for uh, her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, and her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Proverbs 19.8 says, He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. I would recommend every one of you to study and mediate over particularly Proverbs chapter 8, where wisdom, lady wisdom, is personified as the most beautiful and delicate of all creatures, more desirable than anything else in the created order. We should desire and treasure wisdom. Pursue her. She will help you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. From that one last application to be made here. Parents, teach your children the Proverbs. I know that seems simple, right? We, we talk about making disciples. This is why we're doing this, right? So we can take this, we can entrust this to hopefully our faithful children who will grow up and be able to take others also, but not just them, right? Well, much of the wisdom of the first nine chapters is prefaced with, my son, hear, or my son, listen. The book of Proverbs is, it really is, if, if you were to, find one book that's like a training manual for parents. It would be the book of Proverbs. 
Do you want your children to become godly adults? Then the Proverbs are a tremendous resource for you to shape them. Use them to shape them, the godly men and women. They, too, then, will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. All right. <clears throat> That's the book of Proverbs. Any questions? <coughs> yes? Um, the first two determine the, what would put in the blank there. First two and... Uh, determine the and identify the blank of speech. I missed it. Oh, oh, oh. And when we're talking about the... Uh, determine the parallelisms. Okay. Yeah. So P-A-R-A-L-L-E-L. And determine or identify, I'm sorry, the figure of speech. Parallelism is the first, and identify figure of speech. Anybody else need to fill in the blank? All right. Remember, we talked about this last week. None of this is helpful if we aren't reading the scriptures, right? Amen. It's the purpose. This is this is a this is an assumption that you're in your Bibles every day. So let me encourage you at the most basic point. Read your Bibles, right? Yes, meditate you, but also read your Bibles. And I wish that the first couple times I read the scriptures, I had something like this to help me. Um, so I'm thankful we have that opportunity. Next week, Justin is going to uh, come with Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, right? PG-13, we want to say, probably. Definitely less PG-13 than Sunday morning sermon, I'm sure. Short so. lesson. All right, short lessons. Um, our seminary professor often said uh, that Song of Solomon was a honeymoon gift. Uh, and so he wouldn't go over it in Old Testament survey because it. it was between husband and wife. So, um, But Justin, you're going to go over it. Uh, all right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for these people. Thank you uh, for these proverbs. Lord, um, thank you for the truth that you are Lord, the ground, the means, the goal of wisdom. Lord, help us understand that. Help us not to simply want wisdom so we can better our neighbor or put them down with our experience, Father, but we honestly desire wisdom because in it um, we know you better. Help us, Lord, to discern these things and help us to grow in our faith and walks each day. In Jesus' name we pray.